With the Seahawks not playing in the playoffs this upcoming weekend, all eyes are turning attention to the 2024 schedule. We don't know when they'll be playing these teams, but we know the opponents for the upcoming season. We're going to be breaking it all down on this latest Tuesday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network's your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, Where you're whether you're listening in nearby Everett or down in Corpus Christi, Texas, we appreciate each and every one of you. It's officially off-season mode here on Locked on Seahawks. We're going to be dishing out our offensive end-of-season awards, and we're going to be taking a look at what went wrong for the Seahawks this season. Why aren't we preparing for a playoff game this upcoming weekend, either in Seattle or on the road? We'll be diving into that on today's episode, which is brought to you by Price Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use the code, all lowercase, LockedOnNFL, for a first deposit match up to $100. Now for your lead story here. On our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, if there is a silver lining, and this is a very small silver lining, but if there's a silver lining to not being in the postseason, at least teams that aren't in the playoffs, the fan bases can start looking towards the next season. And while we won't know the actual schedule till May, every team now knows who they're going to be playing next year as far as opponents are concerned. And the same goes for the Seahawks with all 17 games wrapped up. And so, Rob, obviously these teams, the Seahawks included, all of them are going to look much different when we get to August and training camps are opening for the 2024 season. They're going to look a lot different before we even get into the draft in April. Then you're going to add all those incoming rookies. So things are going to change a lot, and we're going to revisit this when we know the actual schedule. But I will say, looking at the teams the Seahawks have in the docket, there's certainly some intriguing teams that are going to be coming to Lumen Field next year, and there's some really fun road games as well for the Seahawks in 2024. No, there certainly are, Corbin, and, and that's one of the things, is that the Seahawks actually get an advantage in 2024, and I would 100% agree with your sentiments here that this is a, a very small silver lining. Obviously, you wish that you were in the playoffs, but one of the advantages of the not making the playoffs is the fact that you're going to get a slightly easier schedule. The Seahawks are going to be facing NFC North opponents as well as AFC East opponents, and there's an awful lot of talent, a lot of kind of a lot of talented football players are going to make you want to tune in to watch those away games and absolutely head to Lumen Field to watch the talent that is going to be in Lumen Field and to see a guy like a possibly a Tyree Kill for the Miami Dolphins, possibly a Justin Jefferson for the Minnesota Vikings. I say possibly because as you mentioned a moment ago, Corbin, we don't know what's going to happen over the offseason. Those are two players that are expected 
to be a huge part of their respective teams. But, you know, trades happen, free agency happens, the NFL draft is going to happen. There's going to be an awful lot of, of player, coach turnover that's going to be happening over the next couple of months. But it certainly sets up for a very exciting season. And considering the, the moves that the Seahawks have made, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball a year ago, um, I think that it really sets up especially for some of the more interesting matchups, especially against the speed and playmaking wide receivers that the Seahawks are going to be facing in 2024. Yeah, that was the first thing that jumped out to me, just the talented wide receivers that are going to be coming to Lumen Field next year. Stefan Diggs with the Buffalo Bills, assuming that he's still in Buffalo, you're going to have to deal with him. Justin Jefferson, I'd be stunned if he's not with the Minnesota Vikings. You're going to have to play against him. Now, who's going to be throwing to him? That's a whole other story that we don't have an answer to at this point. But Tyreek Hill coming to town with the Dolphins. And, oh, by the way, they got another guy named Jalen Waddle who's pretty good in his own right. So that's the first thing that jumped out to me looking at the upcoming opponents Dealing with the AFC East in general, there's a lot of receiving talent in that division. And on the away games, Aaron Rodgers is going to be back from that Achilles injury that cost him basically all but four snaps this season. He's expected to return, so the Jets will have Aaron Rodgers back under center, and you're going to have to travel to the Meadowlands to play that game. So that's going to be a tricky road game. And Chicago, who knows who's going to be playing quarterback for the Bears in the Windy City? Is it going to be Justin Fields still? Or are they going to draft Caleb Williams with the first overall pick? We don't know the answer to that, and we won't know the answer to that for several months. So I think when you look at the schedule, the way that this is going to shape up, at least as far as opponents go, we know six divisional games every year. I wish I could say the Denver matchup at home was going to be more interesting, but even if Sean Payton today said that the Broncos don't know whether or not Russell Wilson is going to be back, I would be absolutely shell-shocked if Russell Wilson is still throwing the football for the Denver Broncos after being benched the last two games of this season. So that game doesn't have the compelling nature to it of Russell coming back home for a second game in Seattle that it could have had. But nonetheless, he's still got some really fun games. I think Jordan Love and the Packers coming to Seattle, that is a chance to be a really good game next season at Lumen Field as well. Who knows what the Patriots are going to look like. The Falcons have a lot of talent. They're going to have a new head coach. So again, there's a lot of what ifs here because we don't know what any of these teams are going to look like by the time we get through the spring into the summer and we get close to the start of the 2024 season. But we at least know there's going to be a lot of really good receivers they're going to have to go against. And the return of Aaron Rodgers spices up this schedule quite a bit as well going to New Jersey to play the Jets. No, absolutely. I mean, that's when you, when we first opened the conversation about just the all the hypotheticals. I mean, just Aaron Rodgers being eligible to play, being available to play, being healthy enough to play. To me, that is that is one of the hypotheticals. And of course, there are a, a lot of our viewers on YouTube who are able to see those graphics. But for those of you who were unable to view the graphics, are listening. Regardless of whether you're listening, whether you're watching, thank you so much for all of your support throughout this entire season. I'm just going to quickly run down the eight games that will be at home in the 2024 season. Again, for those of you who are just listening rather than watching on YouTube, obviously you have the four NFC West divisional opponents, Arizona Cardinals, Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco 49ers. Those teams, of course, the Seahawks are going to be facing at Lumen Field. You're also going to be playing the Green Bay Packers. 
Demarcus Jordan love, of course, is going to be a big part of that. The Minnesota Vikings, Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver, as you mentioned a moment ago, Corbin, we don't know who is going to be playing at the quarterback position because Kirk Cousins is among the many high-profile free agents this season. The Buffalo Bills, we know that Josh Allen is going to be available for the Buffalo Bills. Is Tavon Diggs, uh, who else is going to be available for the Bills? That's going to be a fascinating uh, you know, development over the course of the offseason. The Miami Dolphins, Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, the list goes on and on of all of the dynamic uh, playmakers that are on that Miami Dolphins football team. I love the fact that you mentioned the Atlanta Falcons. To me, they are one of the most fascinating teams in, in all of the NFL, just given the skill position talent they have almost uh, opposite of the quarterback position where they still have some decisions to make there. But Bijan Robinson at the running back position to me is still is one of the guys that is just one of those players that you just have to watch in person to really get a, a real feel for how talented he is. The New York Giants are going to be coming to Seattle. It doesn't happen very often. And as you mentioned, the Denver Broncos. So again, it's a really interesting, exciting slate that's coming to Lumen Field. I, I can't wait to see what the Seahawks are able to do against this home slate at Lumen Field in 2024. Yeah, we'll have to see what the Seahawks look like because like everybody else in this schedule, it's going to be a different looking roster. The players that were in the locker room a couple days ago, that team will never play together again. There's going to be some major changes. You're going to have your rookies coming in. Who knows who's going to be on the coaching staff? There's a lot of question marks, but nonetheless, there are some really exciting, at least on paper, matchups there going towards the 2024 season and can't wait till we get to mid-May and the holiday that is the NFL schedule reveal comes out and we'll get to see when all these games will take place next season. Up next, we're going to backtrack a little bit rather than looking just towards 2024. What went wrong for the Seahawks this season? There were such high expectations. Why are they not preparing for a playoff game this weekend? And why have they cleaned out their lockers already? We're going to be diving into some of the key reasons that really stood out in the season that Audley's Geno Smith said ended up being a disappointment. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The NFL regular season has officially wrapped up, but the playoffs are set to get underway, and there's plenty of time to get into the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 money line bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get into the action than during the playoffs. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options that can easily be found in the Parlay Hub, including spreads for all of the wildcard matchups coming up this weekend. Player props, you can look at what's expected from quarterback Josh Allen in passing yards or touchdowns. This weekend, over-unders and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined in today's episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to check out Locked on's 
brand new 24-7 streaming channel, the first of its kind on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for your 24-7 needs, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts from Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. We wish that we were preparing to look at a opponent upcoming for a playoff game this week. Fans certainly wish there was a playoff game that the Seahawks were getting ready for, but unfortunately that is not the case. Expectations were really high going into this season. And yet at nine and eight, unlike a year ago when that record was good enough to get in the playoffs, the Seahawks didn't have fortune on their side with the green Bay Packers holding off the Chicago bears at Lambeau field, the Packers getting the final wildcard spot instead of the Seahawks. And so now we have to go into reflection a little bit earlier than we thought we would at this stage, Rob. And it certainly was a season where there were highs, there were plenty of lows, there was a lot of inconsistency. But when it really boils down to it, it feels like there are two or three symptoms that ended up really ultimately undermining this football team and preventing them from reaching their goals and being as good as they anticipated they were going to be this season. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I think that one of them would be just be a lack of physicality. I think uh, especially along the offensive and defensive lines in the, in the trenches, the Seahawks consistently struggled to move the football in the running game when they were on offense. They consistently struggled to slow down the opposition when it came down to playing defense. And I think that you could make an argument that that is basically everything in a nutshell, but you said a key word there a moment ago, Corbin expectations. The Seahawks were nine and eight a season ago, made the playoffs. They in the off season after trading away Russell Wilson. And once that happened, then there was a lawful lot of, expectation that the Seahawks were going to finish a distant fourth in the NFC West. And so when they made the playoffs, it was a stunner to a lot of people. And then when Geno Smith had the incredible season that he had in 2022, then there was all these expectations the Seahawks were going to be competing for a possible Super Bowl run in, in 2023. And obviously that didn't happen. As you mentioned, identical records. But if you go down all of the different categories that actually matter, in the NFL, whether it be points per game, whether it be points allowed, whether it be turnovers forced, whether it be turnovers created or turnovers that you uh, had yourselves with the um, penalties, uh, any of those things, the Seahawks dropped in 2023. And that's the biggest reason why they are at home as the postseason begins. If you want to go on a statistical basis from the individuals, Geno Smith's touchdowns, dropped his interceptions remain the same so give him credit for that but at the same time the running game dropped the receiving game dropped uh, defensive sacks dropped i mean there was very little that you could argue actually was an improvement in 2023 in comparison to 2022 so again the lack of physicality along the line of scrimmage would be the number one thing that I would argue was why the Seahawks are at home here as the postseason begins. But the lack of improvement, the lack of players or coaches stepping up in year two of this so-called rebuild, to me, is one of the biggest reasons why the Seahawks struggled and failed to reach expectations in this past season. 
there isn't necessarily one statistic that you can look at that's going to be able to measure development for a player. There's intangibles behind that. But as you said, across the board, this team just wasn't as good this season. And that goes back to the players not performing, the coaches not getting the best out of their players. And I think that that was most noticeable on defense. But I think if you want to look at the specifics, to me, it's really simple. And it boils down to the run defense. When you can't defend the run and the Seahawks, I think saying they defended the run is being generous. I mean, when you are giving up 150, 160 yards minimum every single game on the ground, you can't get off the field. Your offense is stuck on the sideline. Geno Smith, as he talked about a few weeks ago, too much time where he's over there wondering what he could be doing if he was on the field because the defense is giving up 37, 38 minutes of possession. This was a chronic problem with the Seahawks last year that did not get better. In fact, in the second half this year, I think it was worse for this defense. They just couldn't make tackles, the explosives that they gave up. But I think everything goes back to the run defense because early in the year, the run defense was incredibly improved. The first five games, they in fact were number one in yards per carry allowed in those first five games. And then everything unraveled after that point. And just to put in perspective how bad this run defense was, in the last 10 games, Rob, we've had this extended schedule through week 18 now. I believe this was the fourth or fifth year that we've had that many games in the schedule. But going back to when they expanded to 18 weeks and 17 games, the run defense allowed 1,674 yards. That's the second most by a team in the final 10 games of a year with that expanded schedule. Only the Steelers in 2021 gave up more yardage. They gave up 17 rushing touchdowns. That's the second most allowed in the last 10 games of a season since the expanded schedule. Only the Bears in 2022 gave up more. And then 5.2 yards per attempt, obviously, is in the top 10 during this new era of 18 weeks of NFL football as well. They just basically became roadkill. Teams were just running over them, through them, around them, missed tackles galore, poor pursuit angles. And I think as much as anything in the game of football, when you can't defend the run, it has a contagious negative effect on the entire rest of your football team. Your secondary, they have to start coming up to make plays in the run game, and it opens you up for the explosives downfield, especially against play action, which now you are more vulnerable to because you can't stop the run. And as I mentioned, your offense isn't even on the field because you can't get off the field yourself. So I think there were a lot of issues that stem from this one symptom that ended up being a real problem for this team that finished four and six in their last 10 games. To me, this was the biggest problem. Well, I absolutely think that the inability to slow down the running game was the biggest problem. I also think that considering the um, you know investments that you made in the offense, uh, you have a first round selection that was made in Jackson Smith and Jig with the wide receiver position. You you bring back Geno Smith, who was the NFL comeback player of the year in 2022, and yet his numbers drop down. Uh, you, you have the the first round selection was made in the left tackle Charles Cross, who provided pretty solid pass protection throughout most of the season, but struggled to create any type of push in, in the running game. And I'll just throw out Geno Smith's numbers here because I need to correct myself. I had mentioned before that I uh, I said incorrectly that Geno Smith's interception numbers actually jumped in 2023. They did not. He threw 12 interceptions uh, in, in 2022, excuse me, 11, 30 
to 11 touchdown to interception ratio in 2022 and led the NFL with a 69.8% completion rate. Corbin, he dropped to 17th in the NFL in completion rate this past season, 64.7%. He had 20 touchdown to nine interception ratio. So obviously the touchdowns dropped significantly from 30 to 20. The interception numbers wasn't quite as bad, nine to 11 in 2022. So you got to account for Drew Locke starting in the, those games, uh, you know, in this past season. But still, the point is the Seahawks were absolutely dynamic on the offensive side of the ball in 2022 when expectations were as you know low as they're going to get. They averaged 23.9 points per game in 2022. That was ninth in all of the NFL. Dropped down a couple of points to 21.4 in 2023. That was 17th. Again, just like Geno Smith's rating. He is 17 and 15 in two seasons as a starter for the Seahawks at the quarterback position. Now, again, I would ultimately agree with your point that run defense really is critical, especially when you're playing a division like the NFC West. But still, if your defense is going to be mediocre, then your quarterback has to be a superstar. And Geno Smith is 17-15 and 15 with his quarterback win-loss rate and the, the touchdown-to-interception ratio that we've seen over the last two seasons, I think that is a significant problem as well. Yeah, I'm not going to pin all of the offensive issues on the quarterback. And of course, it's easy to do that uh, because it's the most important position in the sport. And most fans are going to resort to that when an offense struggles. There were offensive line issues. You mentioned the inconsistency with the run game. The Seahawks were near the bottom of the league, 7.1 yards to go on third down on average. That makes it really difficult to move the chains when you're consistently facing third and long situations like that without a running game, with a pass blocking unit that really is struggling. And so there were a lot of other factors there that contributed to this team being as bad as they were on third down and converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns instead of field goals. A lot of other factors were hindering that besides just the quarterback, but certainly he takes some of the blame as well. Anyway, you slice it though, as we've mentioned here throughout the segment, just too many areas where this team regressed and amazingly run defense was one of them with how bad they were last year. They were worse the last 10 games this season. And so that is difficult to swallow. And the Seahawks coaching staff and their players, they're going to have to do some soul searching this Austin and figure out why can't we get this fixed? Because I think ultimately, as I've said a few times here, that to me was the biggest factor that undermined this team's ability to get to double digit wins and be able to play in the postseason. Up next, we're going to be handing out our awards, our postseason awards on offense, most valuable player, most improved, and a number of other awards. We're going to get to those here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks, the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. You don't have to worry about battling against pros and sharks. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch those winnings roll in. Prize picks is so simple to play. I can make my picks in less than 60 seconds. And now the basketball season's here. Even during playoff season in the NFL, you can do the combo projections in the specials league. For example, you can have Steph Curry and Tyreek Hill at 11 and a half three-pointers plus receptions. Prize picks even offers a reboot policy 
No other fantasy platform offers this that ensures your entries stay in place even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only platform that has such an insurance policy. Price Picks is an absolute blast each week, and it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without any hassle and land quick winnings. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked in NFL and use the code locked in NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. With the season in the books, as we do each and every year, whether the Seahawks, Seahawks don't make the playoffs or they win the Super Bowl, regardless of what the end result is, we always have end-of-season awards. There were plenty of standouts, even though the final result for the team wasn't what fans and players were hoping for. So let's get to it, Rob. We're going to start today on the offensive side of the ball, and we got to start with the most valuable player on offense. And unlike last year, I feel like this is one that you could make some compelling arguments for two or three players to win this award. Yeah, I absolutely think that you can. I think that, uh, uh, you know, the, the easy way is to go at the quarterback position because obviously he is the most important person on the field in, in terms of how successful you're going to be. I'm going to go with the best player on the field. Best player on the field for the Seahawks for the last several years has been number 14, DK Metcalf. Now, does he annoy me with, with some of his, uh, you know, antics on, you know, the, the way that he is, uh, you know, willing to kind of push the boundaries and, and create some penalties? Does Do I wish that he was more consistent as a pass catcher? Sure. There, there's things that you can criticize with DK Metcalf but he is still the most physically dominant football player that is on this team. He caught only 66 passes this season. A year ago, he caught 90, and yet his receiving yards jumped up to 1,114. He had a career-high 16.9 yards per reception. He scored 18 touchdowns, which easily led the Seahawks in that category. Uh, I thought that he was, at times, absolutely spectacular for the season, So, or, uh, absolutely spectacular this year. And so while I did consider Geno Smith, I consider Kenneth Walker the third. I consider the left tackle, Charles Cross. In my opinion, when he he was right. DK Metcalf moved the barometer to the Seahawks uh, toward winning games. And, and so to me, the best player, the most valuable player on offense was DK Metcalf. I was leaning towards Metcalf myself. And part of the reason that I wasn't going to go quarterback is because we saw Drew Locke lead the Seahawks to a game winning victory. But when you look at what Geno Smith did based on the circumstances this year, that offensive line, he had nine different starting combinations in front of him this year, Rob. That's incredible. There was very little continuity on that offensive line. The run game took a big step back, at least in terms of consistency. So he didn't have that run game to lean on for a lot of these games. He's evading pass rushers and doing a masterful job at it most of this season as well. 
And you look at the fact that he had five game-winning drives, the most in the NFL this season. So I've got to go with the quarterback. The numbers don't jump off the page the way they did last year, but I also don't think the circumstances around him were as ideal. He obviously had his top three receivers. He had a new one in Jackson Smith and Jigba. He had his tight ends, but the offensive line and the lack of a running game for much of the season and being stuck in the sidelines because of the defense was failing to do holding up their end of the bargain. There's a lot of different reasons there, but I think the game winning drives that clutch gene, that's really what drove me to pick Geno Smith as the MVP for the Seahawks offense, just because I feel like with circumstances, what he was dealing with, with rushers constantly coming after him, he was playing through injuries as well. I just felt like he had a really strong season that maybe doesn't isn't fully encapsulated by the stats that he put up at the end of the year. Now, most improved player, this one was a slam dunk for me because we weren't going to include rookies on this. We'd never seen a baseline for them. And there weren't really any of the notable star players that took a big leap. But with all those injuries on the offensive line, Rob, Stone Forsyth, he was far from perfect. He gave up 32 pressures. He gave up five sacks in a handful of starts. But when the Seahawks needed him to play, he stepped in. I think maybe the thing I was most impressed about at 6'8", the issues that he naturally can have with leverage in the run game, I thought he improved leaps and bounds in the run game. And you could actually make an argument in some of the games he started, Seattle had some of their best rushing performances. And that includes this last game against the Arizona Cardinals, where they did find success running behind Stone Forsythe during that game. And so the big fellow, when he had his opportunities this year, there were some games he struggled in pass protection. He had some really tough matchups during the course of the season. But I thought that he did a really nice job seizing the opportunity he had filling in for Abraham Lucas. And he showed that he is a capable spot starter. And maybe for some teams, he could still be a guy that could start at some point because he's still a pretty young player. He is. And you stole the world's right out of my mouth in terms of his ability to kind of step up when the Seahawks needed him most, whether it be at the left tackle position where Charles Cross, of course, began the season uh, struggling with injury and at the right tackle position where Abraham Lucas, of course, struggled throughout the entire season. So um, as you said, we didn't consider rookies here because I really thought the improvement that Jackson Smith and Jigba showed throughout his season qualified him for this award. But we acknowledge that we didn't want to have a rookie. We want to have somebody who can have a baseline of that 2022 season to be able to come back in 2023. To me, Stone Forsythe deserved this award. As for Jackson Smith and Jigba, that's another home run for this next one. Top rookie. I mean, Honorable mention to Zach Charbonnet because there were some moments. There were there were flashes where he was really good. I thought he played really good football in the season finale against the Cardinals, but there were a lot of games where he didn't get many opportunities or he just wasn't much of a factor. Jackson Smith and Jigba in the last, I believe, 11 or 12, it might have been 12 games, he had 47 receptions after the Seahawks' bye week. He was fantastic after that bye. It seemed like he really grew up quickly after that point and Geno Smith started to have more confidence in him and then he had two game-winning touchdown catches inside a minute to play this year what else can you say that there's nobody else on the Seahawks football team on offense with their rookie class that comes close this award is easily Jackson Smith and Jigbutts 
Oh, it really is. I, I, I did want to at least acknowledge the play of Anthony Bradford, who kind of sees that role as a starting right guard. I think that he is one of the players going to be excited about moving forward. If the Seahawks want to reposition themselves, their identity as a run first team, then Bradford could be a, a big part of that. Um, you know, I, I thought that there were some splashy plays by Charbonnet, as you mentioned as well. But but still, when it comes down to who was the offensive rookie of the year, to me, it's a slam dunk with number 11, Jay. Let's go to the trenches now. And we've talked about Stone Forsythe being the most improved player, but he only started a handful of games. And there were so many musical chairs with this group. Evan Brown missed some time. Damian Lewis missed a game. Phil Haynes and Anthony Bradford, those two, it was basically every four or five weeks, it was somebody else starting because the other guy was hurt. And that's just the way this season went. As far as the top linemen goes, I actually thought this was kind of tricky because I didn't think any of Seattle's linemen for the entire season had a strong season. I felt like everybody, you could point at some stats, point at some game film and say he struggled during this stretch. You could find some stretches where the player played really well. Charles Cross had a few games where he was lights out. He also had two games that I counted at least eight pressures that he gave up. I can't give a player with those kind of numbers in some of those games. I can't give him top linemen. I feel like in terms of consistency that Damian Lewis was still the best. And you look at the run numbers, the Seahawks averaged more than five and a half yards per carry this year when they ran behind the left guard. And so that is the Damian Lewis effect. I didn't think he took the step forward that I was hoping for going into free agency at the same time on this offensive line. He was the healthiest guy and he was the most consistent. So I don't want to say he won by default. There were some reasons that he was deserving of this award, but this was tricky this year. It was tricky this year. I went with Charles Cross uh, just because I I wanted to acknowledge the um, the level of competition that he faced so far that he faced this season. Uh, but I 100% agree with you, Corbin. This is almost a, an award by default. I, I considered Evan Brown again, considering the uh, the level of expectation coming into this season. Um, Charles Cross remain. It's one of the reasons why I was stunned when, when the Seahawks made that selection is because. I saw a guy who could be an absolute superstar in the passing game when it comes to his pass blocking because he is very light on his feet. He does have very long arms. He is agile at the left tackle position in pass pro. He consider he is consistently unable to create consistent push in the running game, which is, makes the job for Damian Lewis, to your point, that much more difficult. But still, in my opinion, Charles Cross getting beat remains news because for 90% of the snaps, he is able to take the team, the defense's best pass rusher and essentially eliminate them from the quarterback's problem. And so that's why Charles Cross gets this award, but it is far from a slam dunk in my opinion. Real quick. What was your top offensive play of the year? What's the one that jumps out to you as the best play this year? There were a lot of candidates for this one. Well, again, those of you watching on YouTube, then I'm just going to kind of make a sign here, and that is this, and that's a 73-yard standing on business. DK Metcalf 
with the, the reception from a beautifully thrown ball from Geno Smith. It takes that slant and just runs right past Deron Bland, who I believe is going to be an all-pro cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, as well as the safety. 73 yards, abs- to me, was the most spectacular demonstration of athletic ability the Seahawks showed this season. That, to me, there is, there's game winners. There's a lot of big plays out there. But that was the play that got me out of my seat and recognizing the Seattle Seahawks as on national television, of course, um, as one of the most exciting franchises in all of the NFL. So DK Metcalf, 73-yard touchdown to tie the game early on against the Dallas Cowboys, to me, was the play of the game, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. There are very few plays. We are supposed to be reserved in the press box. There are very few plays that make me get out of my seat. My pick for this year, just because of the time that it happened, the circumstances, the opponent, the defending NFC champions at Lumen Field, it's got to be Drew Locke's game winner to Jackson Smith in Jigba, and just the emotions that came with that for Drew Locke after the game. That was such a perfect, throw and you talk about taking the heart out of the defending champions and I don't think the Eagles have rebounded since that game they've gotten progressively worse the last couple of weeks that felt like one of those games that you really stepped on a team that was susceptible confidence wise and they just haven't been playing well at all the last couple weeks limping into the playoffs so that was a really special moment to me that was a hell of a throw by Drew Locke to get the game winning score for the Seahawks at home on Monday Night Football. As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. So grab and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Come out tomorrow. We'll have our end of season defensive awards and we're going to open a new segment. It's early, but it's draft season. We're going to look at some too early draft takes as we start gearing up for the offseason with some fan input as well. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.